welcome to the Farm Beats podcast. Farm Beats is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agriculture team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska. The Farm Beats podcast comes to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. There are interviews with expert producers and innovators from across the agriculture industry. We hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agricultural technology. Hello, Farm Beats followers, and welcome to another episode of the Farm Beats podcast. I'm Camila Rodriguez. And I'm Victor Ferreira, and we are glad to have you here with us as we begin our discussion with soil health and associated technologies. Carol, can you introduce yourself and talk about your career until now? Yeah, hello, everyone. I'm Carol Cordova, soil scientist by training. Uh, my current position at UNL is assistant professor and a statewide soil health specialist. I'm native from South America, and my bachelor's is in ag uh, industry engineering, and I have a bachelor's in soil science from Iowa State University. Um, before coming to UNL, I work as a research as a associate at Michigan State University and also as a research coordinator for the Great Lakes Bioenergy Research Center, sponsored by, uh, I mean, funded by the DOE. And now that, you know, I joined UNL in the fall of 2022, and I co-lead the Water Cropping System uh, Hub, the Soil Health Team, particularly along with Katia Kohler-Cole, who, uh, who is an extension educator and who was not being able to join today. Considering soil health, what is it and which factors should be considered? Great. That's a great question. So that's, you know, every everyone's wondering about what is soil health. And, you know, in the past, there were like several other terms that we use. And and now the, the, the term has changed, right? So, so in the past, we talk about soil quality, soil till, soil fertility. And now we're talking about soil health. And soil health is actually, you know, uh, measuring the capacity of the soil to function as a living ecosystem so that could sustain different ways of life, not only plants. So a healthy soil will promote like healthy plants, healthy animals and healthy communities. So so that's, you know, what entails the, the term. So in the past, you know, those other trends were mainly focused on soil fertility, nutrients, so mostly into the chemical side or the chemical aspect of the soil. But now with soil health, we're talking about the interaction of physical, chemical, and biological properties that allow the system to host different uh, living forms. How are sensor technologies being used to monitor and assess soil health parameters? So regarding like sensor technologies, the one that, you know, um, First of all, like many farmers are looking into different ways to manage their fields effectively, more efficiently, but also investing themselves in adopting new practices that will allow them to reduce the all-farm uh, costs, right? Like the, the inputs, reduce the inputs from external resources, uh, such as like, you know, fertilizers or some amendments that will, you know, increase fertility. So they're now looking into ways to work with nature, right? Working with, uh, in, in terms of like, for for example, promoting more um, microbes or promoting more um, warm growth 
in their fields that will help them to decompose the residues faster. So regarding the sensor technologies, you know, that they are like, you know, some are like uh, in investing in their fields. Of course, that, you know, in, in a small scale, like in a small farmer, like, for example, an urban, an urban uh, farmer might not be that much, you know, into investing in technology because, you know, probably there is not an economic return. But like in the farming industry, we see now farmers investing in soil moisture sensors, in um, a, other sensors that, you know, probably could be uh, a, adapted into their um, a, into their tractors to look into some different soil properties and um, that could like, you know, inform them about like, you know, where are, where are like more nutrients located? Like where, what are like, you know, more fertile soils and where are like others like have some deficiencies. So some of these sensors are not like, um, uh, particularly into um, uh, or like measuring directly the soil properties, but through the plants, you know, the plants are used kind of as sensors of what's going on in the soil. So when you have like a yield monitor in a tractor, you, you, you get these yield maps and you start to understand like where are like, you know, parts of your land that are underperforming. And then you start to like, you know, wonder like what's going on in those patches of, of land, right? And then you go into like, okay, let's let's go and do some soil sampling and, and let's pay attention to that part of that of that uh, of my field. So there are like different sensors that we are talking about, right? So then we have aerial imagery too, that as I mentioned, in order to know what's going on with the soil, like also the plants will express how fertile is the soil, right? So with the greenness, when we are measuring with the NDVI, with aerial imagery, with drones, we're determining like where are like the yellowish patches in the land, right? So that's that's a patch or like a, an, a spot where probably there are like deficient levels of nutrients. With that information that we could couple from those different sensor technologies, either like the ones that are like embedded in drones or embedded in the in the uh, harvesters or you know probably there are like others that could be in situ installed like the tdrs that are like soil moisture uh, temperature and also cool measure electrical conductivity all that information from all these different levels can give us like a, a sense of what's going on um below our feet so that's something that you know we put in context of um, all these information to get like real time data of the soil, like how the soil is performing, also our crops, and tell us about like how uh, is the the health of our system, right? Like we're looking into um, using these systems approach. So I think that you know that's that's something that currently we are using. Of course, that is complex and could be only applied at, you know, the farming industry level um, and not so much in the, in, you know, in a small scale. Carol, are you using sensors in your research? So, yes, yes. The, the sensors that we have are more like, you know, to do like, um, of course, that they are not the ones that are like staying in the field the whole time, right? Like as TDRs or, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, TDRs as an example, but the ones that we bring 
right away to the field and take like you know uh, and a snapshot of what's going on like in 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 an, a specific date under like certain conditions so the sensors that we use is like uh penetrometers we use uh also infrared spectroscopy um so that is new technology that is uh that we are like you know um commercially available and and you get like a soil prof that gets that has these sensors and you could get different soil properties at the same time like the the ones that we could uh claim that are like you know uh reliable data it's uh, organic carbon bulk density and texture of course that you know the the different brands could advertise that these probes um can measure 21 soil parameters but actually you know when you ask and follow up the the accuracy is it's you know it's very low for for some of those measurements but highly confident for like the first ones that I mentioned so beyond that we have moisture meters yes we come and measure moisture um a pH meters um other probes that can measure also temperature so those are the ones that you know we we use right now um, in our lab. Which one of those sensors are being more used by farmers? So yeah, that that's a good question. So always depend on the price, right? To that determines accessibility. So there are some that you know when I bring them to to my workshops or to my trainees or to like when I visit farmers, they. They ask me like, okay, how much does it cost the soil penetrometer, you know, that measure compactions, compaction. And and I tell them that is, you know, around $1,500. And they say like, I'm not getting one of those. That's too much, right? And and I was like, but you have a big farm, right? Like, you know, it's, it's something that I was like, never thought that 1500 was a lot, but you know, there are some, you know, they, they make wise decisions and, and think about like, you know, how often they're going to use it. And um, so they do like these, um, these analysis of, of, of cost benefits, right? And um, they rather like probably keep into the traditional um, way of, of measuring um, soil properties that is, you know, taking soil samples, send them to the lab and then wait for results and and do it that not very frequently they do it like every five years or seven or when they see like some deficiency or problem so we recommend to do soil sampling you know every three years minimum to to get to know what's you know um probably do some uh amendments so in terms of the technology is something that you see that um Small farmers are, are 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 more hesitant in getting in, you know, using the the sensors. But then are others that are like, you know, really wanna uh, really want to make the management of their field more effectively and efficient. So they're looking for ways to like, you know, monitor like what's going on in their fields and with that be more effective in the use of the resources, right? If they need to apply fertilizer, so they know that the price is always fluctuates and most likely goes goes up every year. So they are into like, okay, so what's going on? Do I need like probably just lime, and that will like probably increase my fertility, or or do I need to like work with compost? But 
everything, you know, everything, all of those decisions are tied to how big is the farm and um, how much they're willing to like play around with technology, right? And how how interested are they into like using technology too, right? Because there is also these uh, a learning curve, right? To get into uh, adopt new tools into their into their um, farms, into their systems. Yeah, you mentioned about fertility. Do you have other examples that using sensors and other technologies can help farmers? Yes. So the case that I mentioned earlier of, you know, like starting from from that many farmers have a yield monitor, right? So that's a sensor that it comes already embedded in their combines and they've been getting annually the data from, you know, how, how many uh, bushels per acre are getting like in their southern side of their field versus the northern part or like east and west. So they know like, you know, in real time, they have the data of, you know, the performance of like big pieces of land and combining, you know, and combining all of these data like and and and, and archiving annual um, yields, they could like put together the story about what's going on in their fields, right? So currently we have, you know, there are several uh, research programs that are studying these yield maps and overlapping them, like, you know, in like, I don't know, in the last 10 years, they overlap them with um, with the, um, with their um, uh, georeference locations, right? Because they can get, you know, these beautiful, colorful maps, yield maps of their fields, right? And if they overlap them, like, you know, probably 10 years, they combine the data from 10 years, um, the yields from like, you know, each point, uh, GPS point, they could see like, you know, the variability of the yields over the over this uh, period of time, right? Like 10 years. And they could define like if they have been stable, right? They could define areas that the yield were stable or the yield was like, you know, very unstable and highly variable or, or areas or zones that, you know, it has been actually always underperforming, right? Like below what could be claimed to be like productive or like something that they can get revenue. And actually those zones have been acting as a sinkhole, right? They were putting lots of resources in those areas because they have managed their fields homogeneously, right? They have applied the same nitrogen rate. They have applied the same amount of water like across the land, assuming that the land is homogeneous which is not, right? Like we we have seen that, you know, with topography, the soil changes, with um, management changes, and then there are areas that are very poor. And farmers need to like acknowledge that those poor areas are like sinkholes of resources and money. So with that, you know, with, with just like yield maps, they could like determine like where are the areas that probably need to come out of production and those soils need to be treated differently, right? So perhaps they need to be out of production, yes, but not, not let them follow, right? Perhaps there needs to be like, I don't know, another type of crop that could build up fertility, right? Could be like patches of native uh, plants or patches of 
I don't know, like forest or something that could really like uh, remediate whatever that is going on there, or probably, you know, was a, a wetland that was, you know, brought up into, um, a, I mean, turned into arable land. And actually, you know, that land was probably never, was uh, was never a good idea to transform it into an arable land. So now we need to th rethink about, you know, the way that we design farms, but also with all the information that we have right now. So, you know, there's no need to jump in into like, for me, recommend them to like, oh, let's get this soil prof and let's measure these different soil properties, but rather like, okay, let's just study your yields, you know, your yield maps and, and let's, let's manage your field properly. Because as I mentioned earlier, like plants can also act as other sensors like natural sensors is, is, you know, it's they're expressing what's going on below ground, right? Like if it's like highly, highly fertile or not. So we could see that like through different colors, like the, the, the plant height and so on. And how are data analytics and machine learning utilized in analyzing soil health data for predictive modeling? That's, you know, regarding the data analytics and, and, and I mean, like regarding analyzing soil health data, what are we using? So the, the information that we're using first is, you know, we need to define like where what, the, the, the soil type that we are dealing with, right? So there are beautiful soil maps and soil information that are um, available to the public that, you know, one is the NRCS web soil survey that people have access, can determine like, you know, get their soil maps, get information about, you know, what are the, the expected levels of, of organic matter, texture, what were the, the forming um, factors of that particular land. So get more like, you know, background information of those soils. So, that information is super crucial when we are like into like, you know, studying soil health. So um, the other thing is uh, the environment too, right? We need to know like um, the type of environment, like precipitation regimes and so on. That information gets in. And then, you know, the one that we are like, you know, from all the different parameters that we could measure from soil health, um, the one that I highly recommend and, and the one that is, you know, the backbone of soil health is organic carbon. And and why organic carbon? Why soil organic carbon? And it's mainly because it's the one that, you know, 68% uh, of organic matter or 58% of organic matter is organic carbon. So like organic carbon is the backbone of organic matter. And we know that organic matter, it is the element that builds fertility, right, in the soil that carries all the different organic compounds that microbes love and also other soil fauna love to, you know, that could recycle uh, different nutrients. So that's, you know, the information that now we are trying to keep track on changes in organic carbon. And not only because, you know, it also could be used as a mitigation of climate change, but it is for building fertility, right? The one that we are interested in. So it's kind of killing two birds <laughs> with one bullet. So that is type of information that, that we um, need, you know, the basic information. And that will lead us into like that analysis and also machine learning that could um, 
help us to do some forecasting of um, the potential uh, of a field, yeah, the, the, the field potential on sequestering carbon, on accumulating carbon, or even like reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So there are like different practices that could help promote that, right? So we're talking about, you know, when in terms of soil health, we recommend farmers that have been, you know, conventionally managed their fields to adopt um, a soil health practice or a regenerative act practice, such as like no-till, cover crops, or diversify their system by, you know, like going beyond like a monoculture, going into like, you know, rotate two crops, three, and so on. So that's something that, you know, we will try to um, encourage farmers to adopt. So so these, you know, creating these large data sets of, of the information that I mentioned before, like the soil types, the environment, uh, and other soil health parameters will help us to identify patterns, trends, and correlations, and the functionality too, right? So many people will be asking about productivity, right? Or or the economics of, of adopting soil health practices. So definitely that needs to, you know, be in place for quite some time in order to quantify those aspects. About the data, do you think it's easy for farmers to analyze the data and make decisions or do you think they need an extra help to analyze? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, because now we're talking about like big data, right? And it's not like, you know, they are not used to, uh, people are not that used to, um, manage data that combines uh, different aspects. Like, for example, like you, you're working with the, the environmental data, right? Like with precipitation, with temperature. And then I'm talking about like soil, soil properties, like, you know, soil texture or soil carbon. And, and then on top of that, like yields, like historical yields. So in order to understand what's going on in a field, you need like data for at least like five years or 10 years minimum right, to understand what are the patterns, what are like, you know, the fluctuations of yields. And and for for a farmer, you know, they're like very savvy uh, farmers that, you know, have been managing and keep like good records of their fields. But then there are some others that were not trained on like keeping records, right? So there is where, you know, managing this big data definitely needs you know, uh, it calls for some help, right? And there, there is where we come in, right? Like UNL has uh, great graduate students that are like st studying different ways to uh, manage effectively these big data sets. And then also we have extension educators that are right there, like in the front line in different counties across the state. And, and UNL also always uh, has the communication channels open to help out in different ways, right? There are like some trainings too that um, extension, um, UNL extension offers to help on these. So, you know, it's 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 better to reach out in case that um, you don't know, right? Or you feel overwhelmed. So it could be overwhelming to manage these big data sets or, or want to start now to keep track on, on or, or keep saving the, the information that they're getting like annually. So it is always to, to get some help from 
someone that, that knows data science. Carol, what emerging technologies are being explored for soil remediation and restoration? Great. So, so going into the other side of the coin, right? <laughs> we're talking about soil health. Now we're talking about polluted soils. So there are like emerging technologies for soil remediation and restoration. We have, you know, as examples, the use of biochar, um, the use of fetal remediation, um, also microbial biodegradation, and also using some other um, organic amendments, like, you know, organic matter could be also helpful for, um, for this part. So regarding like the first example that I give you guys, the biochar. So biochar, you know, in some some cases it's popular, in some others it's not. All depends how far it is the 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 plant that is producing it. But you know, biochar or char, you know, in the past, like some other indigenous communities use char for um, increase the pH um, of very acidic soils, right? So the charcoal or char or biochar. Um, it has a very high pH level, so it is alkaline and helps to, you know, um, a, increase the, the pH level of the soil when you, when you add it. So that helps with um, the use of biochar helps with uh, controlling heavy metals, right? We know that heavy metals are, are highly available, highly available at low pHs. So when you increase the pH, then, you know, you are like kind of locking that heavy, uh, that those heavy metals in place. So the plant will not uptake those. Um, we have uh, other uses for biochar too, to um, uh, retain moisture. And um, what else? Uh, and other organic pollutants. So an expert that we have in place that is doing research on, on, on the use of um, biochar in agricultural fields is Michael Kaiser. So he's a soil chemist working here at the Department of Agronomy. And it will be cool, you know, if, if you guys want to follow up about biochar and his projects. Then on the other hand, we have fetal remediation. And that's, you know, a very eco-friendly, low-cost remediation technique, which where you use plants to uptake all the heavy metals or other pollutants that you have in the field, right? So the plants will uptake them anyway. But of course you use plants that are like non-food crops, right? So in those cases you use probably trees, you use some grasses, and that those will be the ones that will uptake the, the, the heavy metals. And, you know, if you harvest them, you are like, you know, removing with their biomass, whatever excess of heavy metals that you have there. And then, will also prevent other pollutants to go into the river. So here comes like very cool projects that, you know, and and and, and strategies of using this technology, the phytoremediation of installing some buffer strips along like um, a contour lines or like, you know, a rivers in the river shores, you have these big grasses, like tall grasses or forests or a mix of, 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 of air or herbaceous species that will be the ones that, you know, if the farm has, you know, uh, meets uh, or, or it is close to a river uh, or another water body, to have those buffer 
sons of plants that, you know, in case that you have been applying manure or any other fertilizer, like say like nitrate, phosphorus, there will be excess for sure, right? We know that the plants will are not that efficient. And in terms of fertilizer, the plants will only uptake 50% and the other probably 50% is going to be lost either through volatilization or runoff, right? So that runoff, that excess will be captured by these plants. You know, these tall plants are very like, you know, demanding plants that you have like right before, like you have them at the shore, right? Or like in these um, in these contour lines of your of your field. So that's pretty cool, right? So the plants will be the ones helping you to reduce the concentration levels of those pollutants and prevent them to go into the into the water bodies. Then the other one, the microbial bioremediation, that's another pretty cool uh, strategy or technology to use. So another colleague here at UNL, Steve Comfort, uh, he's an environmental chemist that works at the School of Natural Resources. He has been, you know, researching this topic, and um, it is, you know, finding ways to promote microbial growth. So saying that, you know, um, you have a polluted soil with uh, oil, like, you know, probably could be gasoline or like car oil. So you have this soil that is polluted with oil and we know that oil is rich in carbon, right? So if you add, for example, nitrogen or like, I mean, a nitrogen, nitrogenous compound, like for example, nitrate, um, or any other fertilizer that has nitrogen to that soil, that will promote microbial activity, right? So you are like feeding the, the microbes with more nitrogen, you're giving them nitrogen. So then the microbes are going to digest that excess of carbon from the car oil and will uh, release a uh, carbon dioxide. So there is, you know, the mechanism of how microbial bioremediation works and uh, similar in other ways of, you know, adding organic matter into the system that is just to promote microbial growth. So you are kind of feeding the microbes, feeding the, the I call them the soil engineers to like decompose whatever that you have there that, you know, it is an, an unbalance. So those are the different soil uh, remediations strategies that we use. Um, and that could be, you know, um, not only like researchers are using, but, you know, some others are are also um, using them. Thank you very much to Dr. Cordova for taking the time to join this episode of the Farm Beats podcast. It's really exciting to learn more about soil health and all the emerging technologies. One of my favorite part of this episode was the thinking evolution of how farmers are managing their soil health from total area to specific areas. And for me, I found interesting the part that Dr. Cordova mentioned about sensors and drones that can be employed to help understand soil health and by the end of the day on decision making. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to sharing another digital egg story with you next week on Farm Bits. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Beats podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback, so if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to use over email, on Twitter, or in the reviews section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support for this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bites. 